This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Can you just admit for just a moment that your real problem is you don't trust God? Can you just be honest and admit that the biggest mistake you've made is in trying to manipulate, control, and calculate the manner in which you could force your life to turn out the way that you want it to turn out. And God, because he has not played his part and done what you think he should have done, when he should have done it, in the manner he should have done it, you don't trust him. So you took matters into your own hands. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. Today, we continue revisiting some older messages from Pastor Jeff from his Reset series. You can find all the messages and the first part to this message we're continuing today wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines. Connection with others is important, but more important than that is our connection with God. Let's rejoin Pastor Jeff as he brings us the rest of a message about resetting our connections. And so Jacob begins his journey home. He's ready to wrestle some more. He's a chronic wrestler. It's like high noon at the OK Corral. Esau's the only thing standing between Jacob and the things he feels he's entitled to. There's going to be a showdown in the desert. Jacob says to himself, if I want my people, my family, and the land, I got to go face the one person who's been the main problem all my life. I've got to appease, flatter, or at least defang Esau. But I got to do something. And so you come to chapter 22, Jacob has become the master manipulator. He's calculating, he's measured, he's totally non-spontaneous. He's got everything figured out. And as he prepares to meet Esau in hopes of reconciling so that he can take back what he thinks he's entitled to, he does two things. The first thing is he divides his family and goods up into two sections. Verse 7 of chapter 32 says, He thought, that is Jacob, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. So he says, I don't know what Esau is going to do. And so I'll divide my family into two sections. So if he destroys one, annihilates one, my name will still go on. He does a second thing that's quite amazing. He collects 200 goats, another 200 uh, male and female goats and camels, and calves, and donkeys. And he divides all of his possessions with all of his servants into seven groups. And he sends each group out with space in between the group that is to come. And in verse 17, we're told, he instructed the one in the lead, the lead group. He says, say to Esau, when my brother Esau meets you and says, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals? Say to him then, They belong to your servant, Jacob. Notice how he says, your servant, Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau. So he says, they are a gift from your servant. Jacob refers to you as Lord and master, and he is coming behind all of these gifts. You think about the story that's developing here. It's quite amazing. It's raining down gifts, substantial gifts. There's an endowment here. And Esau hears the terms of humility. Your servant, Jacob. He senses respect and honor coming from his brother. And it's meant to mellow him, to soften his heart, that he might not want to kill Jacob anymore. And maybe there could be 
reconciliation. But make no mistake about it, Jacob's still wrestling, and he doesn't trust Esau farther than he could throw him. He's trying to manipulate the situation. And then the Bible says that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob sends the last of everything he owns toward Esau and remains behind by himself. And he's probably saying something like this. You know what? I know I'm in a vulnerable position now. I know I'm at Esau's mercy, but I am so tired of running and fighting. I've been wrestling all my life. And one way or another, I'm going to meet this guy, this man who's been the main problem of my life one-on-one. And I'm going to get my life back. Right here, right now, I'm going to meet my arch enemy. And ironically, Jacob does. In verse 24, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Jacob is suddenly alone, all of his possessions into the darkness. He thinks he's alone, but suddenly he's attacked from behind. Verse 25 says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, this is Jacob's attacker, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Man, have you ever dislocated a a finger? Even a little finger is excruciating or a shoulder, much less a larger portion of your body, a hip socket. The Bible tells us that these two men wrestled all night and that no one could gain an advantage over the other. Now, that tells us one thing. If you're wrestling all night, it means that you're pretty equally matched so that no one's getting an advantage over the other. You're becoming more and more weary, but no one overcomes someone else. And then in verse 26, we're told that the man who's attacked Jacob says, let me go now, Jacob, for it is daybreak. Now, why would the man say, let me go because it's daybreak? Because you and I know the rest of the story. Jacob is wrestling with God and no man can see the face of God and live. The sun's about to come up. The face of God will be illuminated. And at that point, Jacob refuses to let go. So the Bible tells us that God touched the socket of Jacob's hip. And at that moment, Jacob is rendered helpless. But can you imagine how terrified he would have been? You think he would have said to God, you could have killed me a long time ago. Who who are you? You voluntarily restricted your own strength and power. You restrained yourself. We're not equals. This is self-limitation. And then as soon as Jacob feels the power go into him, he realizes who this really is. But think about this. He refuses to let go. I mean, my goodness, I would have run for my life. But he grabs on even tighter so that God looks to Jacob and says to him, why are you still holding on? And Jacob's response is classic. He says, because I want you. I want your name and I want your blessing. In one moment, Jacob changed his strategy toward God before he was trying to wrestle with God, to control God, to manipulate God for his purposes, to usurp God's authority, to take the place of God on the throne of God. Esau was the one who had messed everything up in Jacob's mind, and suddenly it dawned on Jacob. He's not been wrestling with Esau all of his life, nor his father Isaac. He's been wrestling with God. He finally did meet the one with whom he had been wrestling all of his life. 
His real problem was never Esau. His real problem, he's been angry at God. Why did you give me this father? Why did you make me cheat like this to get my birthright? And why did it all blow up in my face when I tried to take control? And Jacob suddenly realizes, I didn't have to lie. I didn't have to deceive. I didn't have to manipulate. I've been fighting against one all my life with this kind of power. This God could have blessed me in any and through any circumstance. Nothing would be too difficult for this opponent. This is the God who is able. And he turns around and he ceases to fight against God and begins to fight for God. Not for in the sense of on God's team or on behalf of God, but for the prize of receiving, acknowledging, and being in the full presence of God. Jacob says, I'll tell you why I don't want to let go, because I want to see your face. When God says it's daybreak, you have to let me go. Jacob says, I don't want to let you go. God says, it'll be overpowering. You may die. He said, it'll be worth it. I want you to bless me. I want your name. I want to see your face. God says to Jacob, you're angry with me because I've not given you what you wanted, but you've not wanted the right things. My face, my nearness, my presence, my sovereignty. And Jacob begins to tremble, just like his father Isaac, just like his grandfather Abraham when they took matters into their own hands. And Jacob, like Isaac, like Abraham, repents and ceases to struggle with God and begins to struggle for God so much that his father, grandfather Abraham was actually called the friend of God. And the Bible says that Jacob names that place Peniel, which means I have seen the face of God and was spared. Now let's take a deep breath. We've got a few minutes left. Can I ask you something? Is it not true that you've been fighting against God all your life? Can you be honest enough to admit your marriage failed, you blame God. Your children walked away from God, you blame God. Your life did not turn out the way you think it should, you blame God. You've not received all the things you think you're entitled to and God hasn't played his part, so it must be his fault. Can you just admit for just a moment that your real problem is you don't trust God. Can you just be honest and admit that the biggest mistake you've made is in trying to manipulate, control, and calculate the manner in which you could force your life to turn out the way that you want it to turn out? And God, because he has not played his part and done what you think he should have done, when he should have done it, in the manner he should have done it, you don't trust him. So you took matters into your own hands. And all your life, you've been wrestling not against your brother, your sister, some situation, some traumatic event. You've been wrestling with God. You don't like his plan, his ways, nor his timing. And you think all this language about God working everything together for good is just nothing more than theological platitudes. Think about what Jacob said. If God will be with me and give me food and protection, and if he will help me finally get home to my land and people safely, I will make him the Lord my God. Wow. Can you just admit that your love and service to God is contingent upon God behaving the way you think he should behave? Do you see the valuable lessons in the life of Jacob that should catalyze us toward a reset moment where we start to see everything in our life from a different perspective? Lesson one, the real problem in your life is not what you think. It never is. It's not your brother, your sister, your parents, your coach, your teacher, your ex-husband, your ex-wife. The real problem is twofold. You're angry with God because you think you know better than God how your life should be going to get you to the pinnacles of your life. And two, 
Your God is far too small. You don't really trust that God can build a winding road that leads to the pinnacles and the greatest view of life and living. So you wrestle your entire life with your perceived enemies when in reality you're fighting against God. You're trying to receive the blessings of God, but he's already promised them to you. But you're trying to use your own means and own manipulation to receive what God has already committed to give you. The real problem is you don't trust God. You don't want to depend upon his judgments and decisions concerning how your life should be going. Your God is too weak and too small. You don't trust his directions. You don't trust his ability to turn a disadvantage into an advantage and use it not only for his glory, but your good. I don't know of another truth that is more applicable to this generation. I don't. So you're a business owner and you say, I want God's blessings, but God has to understand that you cannot get ahead with the way he instructs you to get ahead. You've got to oversell. You've got to manipulate. You've got to tell little white lies. You've got to cut legal corners. You've got to cheat on your taxes. You've got to slander the competition and all these other things. Your real problem though, if you're honest, is you don't trust God to prosper you by his precepts. So you take things into your own hands. You came from an abusive family. You're so angry at God because you say, God, you gave me this family. You gave me this father. You gave me this sister or brother. And they've ruined my life. But the real problem is you don't trust God. Wait a minute, Jeff. Are you saying that God gave me these parents? No, not at all. But nothing prevents you from receiving the blessing of God, not even bad parents. Unless you play the role of a victim all your life. Unless you don't believe that God can take a disadvantage, turn it into an advantage, and give you the desires of your heart. What you need to do is let go of Esau and grab hold of God. Do you see that? Esau has been your excuse far too long for the decisions you have made. You're wrestling with God, not Esau. You don't trust that his word and his promise can deliver you. That's the bottom line. How about sex? Why are so many Christ followers violating the precepts of God and the sanctity of intimacy without conviction or shame, mind you? Because you believe that God's law is archaic, that his precepts don't work, that you know better than God how your relationships should go. You believe you know your way is the best way, and so you've been conniving from the beginning like Jacob. You don't trust God to deliver what it is that you want. You want what you want right now, so you steal and lie and manipulate to get it, and the real problem is you don't trust God. And last week we said that C.S. Lewis says, pursue heaven and get earth thrown in, pursue earth and get neither. Many of you are pursuing earth, and that's why you're so frustrated. Lesson one, your real problem is that you've been fighting against God all your life. Lesson two, God almost always has to wound you to show you this. God almost always has to wound you to show you this. In verse 31, we're told that after God had wounded Jacob, that he limped away. Now, do you know, this limp, this wound is going to go with Jacob for the rest of his life. He's going to carry it till the day he dies. And yet, was the wound not a wound of grace? You say, why grace? And the answer is because God did not give Jacob what he really deserved. God seldom does give us what we deserve. He was a deceiver, a conniver, always leaving carnage in his wake. 
But what does God do? To wake us up in the, in the course of our lives. He wounds us. And they are much soft, much more soft than what we deserve. You know, most of you know that I struggled for about two and a half years with anxiety disorder. I won't tell that story again, don't worry. But the psychiatrist that I'd been seeing actually passed away earlier this year. And so Kaiser somehow got wind of that. And I was given a, a Zoom call by a psychiatrist, a strange thing. And he said, yes, uh, 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 Mr. Vines, I'm calling just to make sure you're okay. Do you need meds? Is there anything you need? And I kept trying to explain to him that, no, I'm actually fine that I've actually been able to conquer this. Well, he wasn't going to have that because in his mind, you don't conquer it. It's something that stays with you. So he can't harmonize what I'm saying with the history of my chart, I guess, that he has in front of him. And he kept asking me again and again, Pastor, are you sure? Are you sure that you, you don't need some meds? You, and, I, and finally, I said, look, you, you've obviously discovered I'm a pastor. Can I just tell you something? This anxiety disorder, it can be defeated. Somewhere along the road, God kept sending me wounds of grace and I stopped fighting against God and started fighting for God. And when I got God, I got everything else, including peace. And I had the opportunity. He stayed on the line. I had the opportunity to share with him the wounds of grace, the death of my mom. Did God cause the death of my mom? No, but it was a wound. And God was gracious because he delivered his presence to me, a prevailing presence in the midst of the death of my mom. The same thing in the passing away of my father, both at far too young an age. So there have been times in my life when I have been wounded, but they have been so gracious. And I can tell you that I stand before you. I am limping. They have their mark, but I'm limping with a smile. Are you? Can you name the wounds of grace in your life? Wounds that have been sent to wake you up. Wounds that left a limp, but a limp with a smile. Do you know Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, and there's no greater friend than Jesus. They are the wounds of intervention. Your real problem is that you've been fighting against God all your life. Lesson two, God always has to wound you to show you this, that you've been wrestling with him to change your perspective, to change your aim, not manipulating others around you, but manipulating yourself to get into the presence of the living God that you might respond to the soft touch of his hand, the whisper of his voice to turn your heart toward home. And lesson three, your greatest pursuit must be the reality of God. Can I, if you're going to reset and things are going to be different, are you willing to say, Lord, Take anything away from me that you need to. Do anything you need in my life to wake me up. I've been playing the role of victim far too long. I've been thinking my real enemy was some person, some situation, some traumatic event that happened to me. I realize now that I, I don't understand all the ins and outs of all these things that have happened, but I do know that I do trust you. You can take what was meant for evil and use it for good. I've seen you do it in my life. I think you can do it again. I want to trust you. I want to trust your sovereign will and power. Can you do that? Can you say to God, God, touch me with a wound of grace if it means that I will recognize the face of God and will want his name and his blessing.
Will we finally realize that only three things remain? The people of God, the house of God, the purposes of God. Jacob would not let go of the God of the universe, and that was quite dangerous. He realized he had a hold of God, and he said, I'm not going to let go. I want God in my arms. That's what I really want, and I want him to bless me, and I want him to bless me with his presence, with himself. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that delivers. It's the only thing that lasts. You say, Pastor Jeff, okay, all right. I've been fighting against God. I don't like his plan. I don't like his ways. All right, he has sent wounds of grace into my life. And okay, he must become the ultimate pursuit. But I don't really know how to do that. You never really explain it. And I hear your sermons, Pastor Jeff, but no offense, you don't really help that much. The answer cannot be shortcutted. It's sitting before God in prayer and reading his word. You say, I do that, Jeff, but I don't feel anything. I can't sense God. Can I say to you, don't let go until you receive a blessing. Don't give up. Maybe God wants you to chase him, that you may realize how he's chased you. I don't know, but don't give up. Keep reading, keep praying, do the best you can. Say what's on your heart. Even when you don't feel like it, keep doing it. Don't let go of God. Don't let go until he blesses you with his name and his presence. In verse 28, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and won. So Jacob had a wrestling match with God and won and defeated God? No, it meant that you have struggled with God and you have overcome in the sense that your eyes have been opened, your life has been changed, you have won life's greatest battle, you have recognized that the issue in your life is not others, it's you're not happy with God and his ways and his means in your life. Now, Jacob, you have won by losing. You lost yourself, gained God, and that is the ultimate pursuit of life. Father, I thank you and praise you for the power of your word, for your goodness and grace. And I pray right now in Jesus' name, those who are listening will start to see the events of their lives in the past in a different light, in a light of understanding that even though you do not ordain many of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, that we are part and partial to a fallen world, you still are the God who takes all of those things as if they are winding roads, uses them, carves them into the hillside, keeps pushing us forward through wounds of grace that we might reach the pinnacle and we might have a perspective and a view that is actually worth dying for. May we die to ourselves that we might gain you. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts.
today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.